sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. We are going to kick off part two of the listener call-in in Northern Ireland. We've got a first-time caller at the podcast. Jonathan, how are we doing today? More good, Andy. How are you? I am very well. And do you know what? I, I always love joking about the accent on this podcast. Uh, wait till they hear the Northern Irish and the Scottish going at the same time, so... Uh, I think we'll be confusing a lot of people around the world, Andy, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. But listen, it's good to have you on, Jonathan. Uh, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? Yes, Andy, thank you. Yes, I'd like to talk about, first of all, Lou Elizondo. Um, I think he's someone that a lot, a lot of people are divided. Uh, people within the uh, new, uh, that are interested in UFOs and people in the media as well. A lot of people do question his motivations into the UFO UAP, uh, but for me, I feel he's more than January, and the reason why I say that is he's obviously an insider. He knows a whole lot more than he can say, which he has acknowledged because of his NDAs. Uh, he's someone that the government as well has tried to, you know, blank list or you know, rub him out of history by saying he didn't work at at EdTech when he he, he did. Um, also, Tom DeLong, I feel, is very interesting. Um, I think Tom DeLong, it was... People did question, where, you know, why him? And uh, was he really talking to high to people high up in the um, military? I think with the emails that was leaked by WikiLeaks, I think that's put that question to bed. He was in contact with high-level people within the military. Um, and Lou Elizondo, I believe, is the second arm in that, where Tom DeLong is the entertainment side. It's getting the general populace, the masses, I think you could say, um, and get that into, pop- into popular culture, while Lou Elizondo is more to do with politics, getting the US government and media. I think it's a two-armed um you know, it's it's two sides of the, of the same coin, and I do believe the TTSA was always going to the branch into those two different areas. There was always going to be kind of a breakaway, I feel, in TTSA, and yeah. for that to work. Yeah, no, look, you're you're right. The way it's gone, I don't think. I think Tom started with a lot of great ideas for TTSA. And it came to a point, I think it was mentioned on a few occasions uh, on various different shows and podcasts and and whatnot, that 
the they had to make a decision as to what they were going to focus on. And Tom, there's more than Tom and the people we saw at the face of it involved in TTSA. And at that point, they decided to go the entertainment route. I'm sure you have to say that money is involved at that point because they are going to be making the or releasing the movie Monsters in California at some point in the coming months. That's right. They've got the books division. <clears throat> Sorry, I'll cut that out. <coughs> They've got the books division as well. Again, those sell really well, the secret machines, gods and war. And it's another way of getting the message out there. I think people like Lou and Chris Mellon and others who left TTSA were in there for a different reason. And they saw that they had, you know, common goals and something that they were working towards like Tom DeLong. And it came a natural point, I think, of, look, let's let's move our separate ways. You do what you're doing and we'll go and do what we are doing. But there's no doubt TTSA accomplished something quite amazing because what Indeed. Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon and guys like that are carrying on now, they got the platform to launch that from To The Stars Academy. So it definitely had its purpose. Um, I think there's always going to be the questioning of of Lou because where he's from and in, in, in government. And a lot of people always saw the government in this as the bad guys. But like I've said many times, yes. the government's not a small room of people making decisions. It's yeah. thousands of rooms and thousands of organizations yeah. all kind of building up at different levels. And this is just one small part of it. And you've, you've got to kind of make up your own mind on Lou because people know by this point, I met him last week and either he is totally genuine, like I believe anyway, and he is he's doing good work and he's doing this for the right reasons, or he's he's lied to everyone and then sat and lied to my face as well. But I, I doubt that. I, I, I'm like you, I, I'm genu- I think he's really genuine and he's doing this for, for some of the right reasons as well. And you just have to kind of put your... It's a bit of faith, isn't it? You have to kind of put your faith in that he's doing this That's right. as he, as he says, and and he's kind of foraging forward, and it's 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 made more progress in this subject in the last three or four years than it had for decades beforehand. And some people don't seem to like that, but it doesn't mean you can't accept what happened before was a positive, and we've just taken things forward. But that's that's where I am in the whole Lou Lou situation. And the thing with Lou as well, I feel that he. Um... He doesn't make outlandish claims and he tries not to get involved with certain researchers where he may actually believe them, but he doesn't want to get tarred by the media who aren't ready for maybe the Spot more, on. what people might say, outlandish aspects of it. He wants to move it forward in a certain way with social media and with other kind of branches of um, you know, the social media. There's, there's the media themselves, the press media. Um, and then there's everybody else who maybe don't know anything about UFOs. He wants to move everything along at the same time. But I feel now he's inching towards the more, what, what people might say, the, the wow factor in it, uh, or the woo factor even, in that um, he's talked about possible uh, bio uh, samples um, from occupants within UFOs. It's quite interesting too that in a, in a recent um TV interview he's done where he didn't answer a question uh, until he established that it was his opinion yeah. that they were looking for. Uh, and I think that's a way to kind of circumvent his, his NDA where his opinion uh, is might be closer to fact because he can't say it's a fact because then he's breaking his NDA. So I think there's a there's a real um, there's a real 
kind of chance for him to move this forward. And I think that's what he's doing now into the the, the next stage. And who knows where we'll be in five, ten years from now if this keeps going at the 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 the, the, the pace that's going at. Absolutely. I think if you look back at Lou's interviews from a couple of years ago when he first started talking, including on Unidentified, you, you can see he was much more reserved deliberately in what he would say and how he would say it and the language that was used to look yes. at now when he's just been on Kurt Jai Mungo, Theories of Everything, and how yes. much he was talking about, talking about, you know, genetic modification, you know, interference with human civilization. We've heard about archaeological finds, potentially. Yeah. You've heard about all these different things now. And like you say, it just it's moving along at a pace that I don't think you appreciate until you take a step back and look at it as a bigger picture. But you also wanted to talk about some, um, you've got an interest in classic abduction cases, is that right? Yes, I think that's, that is basically the, you know, the bread and butter of everything to do with UFOs, UAPs. Without that, you know, you don't have a base for it. For me, I think for most people, the um, Betty and Bonnie Hill case is astonishing. It really is. These are are two people who, because of where they lived and at the time, um, because they were an interracial couple, um, they didn't want to, to have any type of, you know, be, be out there in the press. They didn't want to be talked about. Um, so you can't say that they were seeking to get, you know, attention from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and their story has, over the the last few decades has, has, has held up and it's an astonishing story. That's something that really brought home to me, the whole idea of UAPs and UFOs and how real it could be. Jonathan, let, let, me ask you, let, let me ask you on that because I find that interesting. Why do you think Betty and Barney Hill, Travis Walton, another one, um, yes. Calvin Parker, those are a few that we can name. Why, when these things happened decades ago, do we still talk about them now when we don't seem to necessarily have a lot of newer abduction cases like that to talk about? Is that just a sign of the times that we live in? Well, I think it's to do with the science of the times that they lived in, perhaps. It was in the middle of the Cold War. Um, there was a lot of interest in, could these be Soviet, um, you know, uh, military operations, perhaps. Um, plus the culture at the time, there was a lot of interest in media about UFOs. You had the Stephen Spielberg film as well. Um, and kind of a third kind. Um, so there was a lot of interest at that time. Um, plus, it was very sensational. Um, I think when we get to today, the reason why we don't hear about abductions is I think the narrative has moved on in regards to both the mainstream media who would have picked up on the abductions in the past and made fun of it, to be honest. Um but I think the conversation has, has moved on today. I think there does be abductions today. I think there has been stigma. And because of the stigma that has been attached in the past couple of decades to people like Travis Walton, um, you, you know, uh, Betty and Bonnie Hill, I think people have been not wanting to come forward. Um, you know, people get, you know, they get thrown through the mill on it. On it. Um, it's something that people don't want to do. I think now, I think you'll see maybe in the coming years, you'll see more people coming forward talking about abductions because the stigma, I think, is slowly going away. I think people like Travis Walton was very brave in coming out and a stuck to his story 100% since day one. He's tackled a lot of grief. Um, I can't see how anybody would want to do this for fame um, or money. 
because I think in the long run, um, it doesn't work like that. Um, I think the US government as well, as well as governments across the world, we always talk about the US government because they're the government with the resources uh, to investigate this. Um, but I think governments around the world are trying to bury this um, and put people down for it. So I think today we're focusing more on nuclear um, sites, both civilian and uh, military. And just a very, you know, a fact that's very interesting to see that uh, Senator um, Kirsten Gillibrand has uh, put forward a um, amendment for inclusion in the 2022 National Defence Authorization Act. Uh, it's early days on that. You know, I'd love to read more into that. But uh, basically, you know, sees someone who's actually, um, you know, sees set on the um, on the aerial transformation and phenomenon advisory committee. Well, actually, that's actually what she's actually proposing that that is set up. Yeah. Um, she's been briefed, her and um, quite a number of people that are looking at this amendment have been briefed on, on the subject and she's seen classified data and classified images. So this isn't just a senator who just has happens to have an interest in you and UFOs and putting this forward. She's actually seen data and classified information. Uh, and on the back of this, she's looking for this to be moved forward, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, again, this is another aspect of maybe what Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon are doing behind the scenes that we don't hear about. And often that's probably more important than what we are actually hearing about. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think in five to 10 years time, I think we'll be much, much further down the line. There are secrets that the US government and governments around the world are holding on this. It doesn't mean that they know what's going on, but for their own reasons. And to be honest, if I was, you know, part of the US government or, or kind of had the information on this, who knows, I might even choose to go down the same route um, because we don't know the full details. And I think it's very telling that um, when Lou Elizondo, and there's lots been talked about his somber comment and what all this is, I think the real truth behind it could be a whole lot more disturbing and a whole lot different than what we could even imagine right now, which is why Lou Elizondo is trying to move this forward step by step. Because if you told someone two or three hundred years ago that you would, you know, if you showed them an F F eighteen fighter jet, it would blow their minds. You know, um, you know, like in the Bible, you know, you you would you would um, read about you know people being taken up to heaven in chariots of fire. Yeah. Well, that's the language they used in that time. That nothing else to compare it to, other than a chariot, you know, with a horse. So if they've seen they seen something like an F eighteen fighter jet in the skies two and a half thousand years ago, that's the language they use. Just like the language we use today to describe a UFO, UAP. Uh, as in a vehicle, a transmedium vehicle that's moving through water and air. That's the language we have today. But who knows, maybe it's something completely different that we do not have any language for right now. It's, you know, it's very exciting and, and interesting times. And I think, I'd like to think five years, ten years down the line from now, we'll all be more enlightened. And at the very least, that mainstream media will not be making a laugh and a laugh and a joke with the people that have been affected by it. Absolutely. Jonathan, listen, great call, great points. Uh, and I'm with you on that five years time, where are we going to be in this? So we'll wrap up there and we'll move on to the next call, but uh, good to yeah. hear from you. And Thank hope you, you Andy. Again, Thanks mate. for your okay. time. Brilliant. Thank you.
we are going to move over from Northern Ireland all the way to Idaho in the United States. And we've got Sloan joining us. Sloan, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Andy? I am good. Thanks very much for calling in. Listen, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about, Sloan? Uh, you know, I just want to talk about a recent sighting that I had, and I thought I'd be crazy, uh, but my wife and my 10-year-old son actually saw it as well, which is kind of interesting. Amazing. So, um, we were actually traveling back north from Salt Lake City, Utah, up to Pocatello, Idaho. And uh, as we were traveling up there, we got north of Salt Lake and south of Hill Air Force Base. And there's a whole mountain range along the the highway that, that you're driving by. And on the mountain range, there was this little like white dome at the top. And I thought it was an observatory. And I was like, who would put an observatory out in the middle of nowhere? Um, and like, there was no roads leading up to it or anything like that. And so um, while I was looking at, at the time, we didn't know what that was. I just assumed it was an observatory. But while I was looking at it, I saw like a white disc shaped object south of, of where that was. And uh, I just jokingly, because my wife knows that I'm actually like into the UFO things that I've been listening to the UFO po- that UFO podcast and everything. And I was like, wouldn't that be funny if that was a UFO? And as I said that, it went from like bright and started dimming. And then it went really bright again, like really quickly. And I was like, oh my gosh, that might actually be a UFO. Um, and she was like, what are you talking about? And so I described to her where she could see it because there was like mostly like dirt, but there were some rock formations and it was just kind of above the rock formations. Mm-hmm. And then she saw it. She was like, oh my gosh, I see it. And I was like, yeah. And then she saw it actually dim and she's like, it's dimming. And I was like, yep. And then she's like, and then it flashed back and she was driving. So I couldn't, she couldn't like watch it the whole time. Um, and then the really cool thing happened when she looked back at the road, I saw it go from like, kind of like the the whole Star Trek movies when they go into like warp speed, it yeah. um, stretched into a long, like from a little disc shape to a long line. And then like that just disappeared. Um, and it was going South. So opposite of where the, the radar, what I found out later was a radar station was. Um, and then like in two or three seconds, all of a sudden it did the same, like opposite. So a line came and then all of a sudden it was back and it was a disc shape again, just a tiny little like disc shape. And I was like, holy crap, it just zipped away and zipped back. And um, while I was saying that, my my 10-year-old was like, where is it? Where is it? And so I described it to him. And at this point after it zipped back, it started like flying around the the what we thought was an observatory, like mm-hmm. in circles around it. And he's like, Oh, is it flying around? And I was like, yeah, that's what it is. It's the thing flying around. He's like, oh, I see it. I see it. And then the very last thing I saw before it like disappeared completely was it went from like a horizontal position. It flipped to vertical and then again, just disappeared like that. Uh, I found out later that's actually called Francis Peak. It's south of Hill Air Force Base. And it's one of the U.S.'s strategic radar um, stations that actually has a radar radius of like 500 miles and 500 miles in any direction and basically sends out magnetic waves to do radar and stuff and it's like um anyway uh i didn't know who to tell and i i thought i'd be crazy but the fact that my wife and 10 year old saw it i was like well that's that's crazy like i and my wife was like don't tell anybody at work because they're gonna think you're nuts <laughs> um and so I, I haven't really been able to tell anybody, but I thought it was really interesting uh, and something I've never seen in my life. So, no, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Like, is there anything in the area that any rumors, anything nuclear or anything like that, or is it just the radar that you're aware of? 
Well, like I said, I thought it was an observatory. My wife ended up looking it up after we got home and found out it was a, a radar station, but it is South of Hill Air Force Base. And I know they have like the, what is it? The Proving Grounds in Southern Utah. Mm-hmm. And it's actually just due west of Skinwalker Ranch. And just yeah, I was enough. going, I was going to ask you how far <laughs> away from there. Yeah, about forty miles west, I think, of due west of of Skinwalker. Actually, interestingly enough. And did your wife and obviously your ten year old as well? Did they, when they saw it, were they observing the same thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was all you could see was this little disc shape, and it was. I mean, it looked white, but it was. It could have been like silver reflecting the sunlight. It was like four thirty in the afternoon. Uh, it wasn't getting that dark yet because because it wasn't like it was like a month ago. It was like early September, and um, so it was the the sun hadn't set yet. Um, like I said, my son was the one who described it that it was going around the radar dish or what we thought was the observatory. He's like, oh, it's flying around the the observatory, and I was like, yeah. Um, so we all saw the same thing. My wife did see it brighten and then dim. Right. So it was like got really bright and then it would start to dim and then it would flash really bright again. Um, but yeah, there was the only thing that I saw that they didn't was it zipping away and then zipping back. But I wasn't driving, I was in the passenger seat and I was keeping an eye on it the whole time. But the only reason we were looking up there is because of that whole like radar tower. It's just so out of place as you're driving along the freeway. And so. was there no inclination to grab your camera phone or a camera and? I, I did. I tried, but I didn't capture anything. But it's okay. kind of like, you know, when you take a picture of the moon, um, you know, it looks amazing when you see it in real life. But then you look <laughs> Absolutely. at the picture and it's not yep. that bad. So you could see this tiny little dot. But then when I looked at the pictures that I took, there was no dot. Like, um, uh, on the, compared to the radar tower, you could barely even see the the radar, the the observatory looking thing. You could barely even see it. But in real life, I could see it really well. So it's like, it, it wasn't as, yeah, I, 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 I kinda, tried, but there wasn't you know, anything. Sloan, I can appreciate that anyway, because like I say, when I, when I saw the triangle object, like a couple of years ago, I was driving and it was just me in the car. So I couldn't necessarily just grab my phone and film. Even yeah. if I did though, you wouldn't have seen anything because it was such a black sky. I don't think you would even have picked up the two points of light because with my eye, yeah it was really clear and like you say when you see the moon and you think oh wow that would look great on a picture and you take a picture and it's this bloody white little circle yeah. and you're like ah oh, yeah. that's even when you zoom it's not the same and so yeah i, I can totally appreciate that um yeah, I, 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 I try feeling like do you get a feeling and like i have sometimes with these things of if it was something else is it something that we're messing about with technologically or well so that's the thing is i don't know what it was like, whether it was, you know, something out of this world or, you know, it was just South of an air force base. Maybe it was some sort of testing they were doing to see what the radar could pick up or something like that. Um, that, that could definitely be the case, especially since the Hill air. So it was North of salt Lake and South of Hill air force Base is where it is. It's like a 20 or 30 mile stretch. And we were sought for maybe five miles going about 60, 70 miles an hour, something like that. So about five minutes, you know, somewhere in there. Um, but maybe they, they could be testing something. Maybe it was testing what the radar could see. Yeah. Um, my wife was intrigued because she was like, well, if we find out what that is, maybe that will describe kind of what we were seeing. Cause she was trying to be very logical about it. Cause uh, again, she indulges me <laughs> like, you know, going into this, but not very much. Uh, right. And so 
Um, she's like, maybe this will actually answer the questions for us. But then she found out that it sends magnetic pulses. And she's like, do you think that maybe the magnetic pulses were causing it to brighten as soon as it sent it out and then slowly dim afterwards? Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe, I have no idea. Um, but but yeah, there it's south of Hill Air Force Base. So there's an Air Force Base right there. It's in close proximity relatively to Skinwalker Ranch. It's close to the Dungway Proving Grounds. Is that what it is? Down in Southern Utah? Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be something they were testing out, but, but again, I, it was more just like, I said it as a joke. And then all of a sudden it was like, it kind of set in and we were both just kind of like, what, what was that for the next like half hour, 45 minutes? And I was like, am I crazy? She's like, no, I saw it too. And my, my 10 year old was like, I saw it too. Right. So he was, he was excited because he'll sometimes stay up and watch, you know, those things with me and, and, and listen to podcasts and stuff. So, but, but yeah, I, I have no idea. But hopefully, at least, maybe not your wife, but your kid gets more of an interest in the subject after that and kind of carries it on forward. That would be pretty cool. I would love to hear from any other listeners who may be in the same area, around the same sort of base, have maybe seen something similar or or something if it's been completely different. But that would be really cool to hear as well. Sloan, we'll have to go from there just because we ran out of time. But awesome speaking with you. Thanks for staying up so late to call in as well. No worries. Thank you so much, Andy, for all you do. Keep it up, man. Thank you. And make sure you call in again next time. Okay, man? Yes, sir. We are moving over from Idaho to North Carolina, and we've got Dustin. Dustin, how are we today? We're good, thank you. Awesome. Good to have you on, Dustin. We've got Dan joining us now. For those who are tuning in uh, to part two of the listener call-in, Dan wasn't around for the early ones, but here we are. It's the evening, and Dan's out of his bed. Yeah, I jump in and out. The the morning ones I'm not present for, but the evening ones I'm wide-eyed. Absolutely. Just to ruin the continuity of people who think this is a, a, a straight across the board call in. But Dustin, this is all about you. The floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? Okay, thank you. Um, I wanted to speak um, because like my wife and a lot of my family, they do not have an interest in the UAP phenomenon or the related, you know, and I share information and, you know, facts and kind of go over things from time to time. But it's just kind of met with a uh, awestruck. Uh, who cares? It's not impacting my daily life. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing is, like my children, we've been able, fortunate to send them to a private school. And it's, you know, it's a Christian school. And I just, I have sort of a conflict on how do you talk to your children about this? Because they love sci-fi movies. And, and you, you know, you show them some things from articles that you read or videos with the phenomenon. And I just, I don't know if there's a good way or how you go about speaking to your spouses or your children in everyday life with the phenomenon, because for me, it's impacted me my entire life. It's sort of an obsession, but it's more of a passion, just something, Mm -hmm. you know, I have to immerse myself in. And I just don't know exactly how to do that. And I didn't know if you, Andy, with, you know, you having children, um, how do you go about talking to your kids about something that's extremely serious? Yeah, so I suppose my kids are like five and three and the six-month-old doesn't really matter yet because he's, he's too young. But um, the five-year-old and the three-year-old, like I've always talked about UFOs and aliens. Like my, my wife gets a little bit annoyed at me and I get into trouble because my my son and the school he goes to, they, um, they, they will tell him about God and various different religions and all that kind of stuff at, at an early age. And he'll come home and again, he'll say, Daddy, you know, God created the world in seven days. And I'll say, yeah, that's one theory. <laughs> and, you know, there's, 
there's conversations you should and shouldn't have with a five-year-old but i just i tend to go well what what if it was aliens or what if it was something else and it, it is just that what if you know keep the options open i don't think at any age not to tell people how to raise their children that they need to be pressured into what they should believe because right now none of us know exactly you know there's there's scientific way the religious way and everything in between but i i've always talk to the kids about ufos and aliens they know daddy has a podcast uh they know i talk about aliens on the podcast um and I, i've kind of bought them little books there's a there's an x-files book which is Mulder and scully as children and it's a little scooby-doo-ish but it's an x-files story for kids so i bought them that um very young so they have i read that to them some nights um they've got a copy of chase klutsky's book which she wrote about again are aliens really real and again, it just introduces the concept of what aliens might be and at a very early age to have that discussion. So it's it's definitely, as they get older, maybe a more difficult one because they're going to make their own choices and decisions. But I suppose kids now have a huge access, Dustin, to social media and YouTube and, and stuff we never kind of had when we were younger. Um, and in terms yeah. of my wife, she, I'm lucky she's really supportive in terms of the podcast. It takes up a lot of my time, which I've gone on about enough. Um, but she is really good with with that. Like she is doing bedtimes right now uh, as I am recording this call with you. Um, and that usually happens with interviews or editing or anything else that I have to put together um, or just Dan and I catching up to research. But just having the UFO conversation, I, I've asked her and when we have that chat and she sees how passionate I get and I get really involved and what about this and did you see this happened? And she'll she'll play along and she'll nod and agree but when it comes to me saying you don't really seem to to care or get excited about it she says it doesn't because it doesn't she says it doesn't impact her everyday life and for her and for 99 percent of the population that's that's it that doesn't impact their everyday life right now to to know about this or what what's going on or what might be going on and i i can understand and appreciate that side of it does if that makes sense it makes perfect sense. You know, you wonder what's the difference in you and me and them. Uh, why does it impact us the way it does and not others when, you know, clearly there is something unexplainable happening. It's not a, an if it is, it's 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 a truth. We're just trying to find out what it is. So I just find it, you know, intriguing. But um, that's just a thought I've been having for a long time. I think there's there's also something to the idea, again, we've, we've mentioned my own sighting when I was a kid and there was four other people there. Now, my mum saw that as well, huge big disc on its side spinning around and still has no interest in the subject, doesn't believe in aliens, UFOs or anything like that, even though she saw something pretty incredible, pretty close up that she can't explain. I think it's just, again, how some people are are wired. And if they choose to, I mean, if, if you're listening or watching this podcast just now, then you have an interest, at least in the subject, that you're, you're willing to entertain the conversation to a degree. And I just think there's still so many people out there for a whole load of different reasons that just aren't ready to do that yet. You're right. Um, well, that goes back to my upbringing and like evangelical uh, Christian upbringing, you know. A lot of people believe in things that they're taught and they have feelings, you know, when the Holy Spirit's moving and, you know, you get people together, they can create, I guess you would call it a mass hysteria, perhaps. But it's that along the same lines where a lot of people together can be on the same fault and they can create the feeling where everybody um, feels and sees the same sort of thing. I call it mass hysteria. It may have another name, but, you know, people can witness 
events, you know, people talking in tongues and things like that, which I've witnessed, but we have no problem believing that because we accept that's from God. But like you said, your mom, if she's seen a literal craft flying and that doesn't change your belief, you know, that's just strange. And yeah, and, and to be fair, I'll be really honest, before I started this podcast and spoke to all the people I have now, and that's not just guests, but listeners from around the world and people on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff, I always thought that people's religious views would be the block to them believing in this subject. What I've found is probably the opposite, that it's people with religious beliefs that actually have the most open minds to this subject which I find really, really interesting. And it's really nice, actually, as well. I'll leave you on one more thought here. Um, this is the last thing I want to say. My grandmother, she is a, um, uh, I, hate, I don't say it like that, but she's very strict, I guess, religious, very, very old-fashioned the way we was brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she believes everything's from God, which, you know, I guess, however you picture God is true and to some aspect. But she told me as a child um, about a, an event just because I was talking to her about extraterrestrial or something when I was a kid. She said, oh, yeah, we've seen a, a UFO uh, come over our house. We had the pastor over and, you know, she had like five kids and they all were screaming outside and they come outside and they looked up and she said it was a circular craft. She could see windows in it and it was spinning with lights, made no sound. And she said she thought, you know, that was uh an angel coming to take them away. She thought it, that was their time to go to heaven and is zipped off and people around the town seen it. But, you know, that was one event. And, you know, she associates that with an, an angel. And I just, you know, I can't see that. I seen um, Dan's Twitter image of that angel with that, you know, wheel. I, I don't know if she associated it with that, but um, I just found that kind of odd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the discussion of language and words and what we mean by them is something I, I speak about often because you're absolutely right. What What is a UFO to one person is an angel or a visitation from a demon to the next. And and I almost feel like we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time arguing over what the right term is. And I almost feel like we don't have the right language yet. Um, and, and figuring out the phenomena will kind of Give us the, these new terms that we we will be using to discuss, you, you know? Yeah, it's amazing how, how many people can see the same thing and all have different descriptions and interpretations of what they've seen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just, just like uh, all the famous scientists say, everything is relative and, and we don't really grok how, how fundamental that relativity is to our experience. Yeah. Well, that was good. Um, and one last thing I want to ask you a question andy and in your opinion for the last thing what is your opinion if you believe mankind has a destiny of uh perhaps a convergence with this phenomenon i i I don't think if if you mean is it set in stone that it's something is going to happen then then no i don't think so um i think we're we go along, and it's it's funny. Myself and Dan have just spoke about the the Eternals movie that's out in cinema just now, and some of the themes that run alongside that. And I think the idea that as a civilization we we move along and evolve to different stages, and it's almost like you you level up and you get to a point of do you get to move on from where you are? And usually, technology plays the big part in that. And we're at the point now where, as a civilization, we're we're probably due or in the middle of a technological kind of leap. And do you end up destroying yourself before you do that? 
And I think this would probably be, be one of the last stages for that to happen before we do get involved with some other civilization or beings or entities. Um, it's, it's a massive question, Dustin, because I think, I think for me, I have to look at it as if we share this space or planet or reality with another being or set of beings or entity, then they have an interest in what we are doing with the planet, whether you want to look at things like climate change or, or nuclear weapons that we're, we're storing and making and how we're using that technology, then they've got a vested interest in, in how we're going about things. And it probably doesn't look good from that point of view. I think that's why we've got so many sightings around you know, nuclear fleets, nuclear silos, any nuclear material, nuclear, you know, nuclear waste, all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't think it's something that's necessarily definitely meant to be or meant to happen, but I think we're in charge of our own destiny in terms of how we behave is going to make a big impact on, on if we get into that. I'll put in massive air quotes here, Galactic Federation down the line. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm, I'm along those same lines as well. Um, I just there's there's just a lot coming out recently. It seems like it's culminating like a snowball and there has to be something I would assume that would be big. That's just around the corner. You know what that is. I don't know. But with the uh, the the uh, scientific investigations into the quantum and everything like that that goes along with that, I think we're going to discover something um, very soon that's just going to blow everything that we believed and knew scientifically before um, and philosophically just out of the water. Well, Dustin, really good call, man. I uh, hope you call in again. We're going to move on to Michael now, but thank you very much. It's been good talking to you. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks, thank Dustin. You, See you. Thanks for that call, Dustin. Really interesting. We're going to move on to Michael in Liverpool. Michael, how are we? Yeah, not bad. Sorry, oh, I was on mute. No, brilliant. Good to have you on the podcast. I've got Dan with did, us as well. Did Michael just steal my catchphrase? I was sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he's done that deliberately, I think. Um, listen, uh, the floor is yours. What you want to talk about, Michael? Yeah, um, what I want to talk about was some of the, the promises or uh, the expectation of like new things coming out and then eventually them not getting there. So yes. I think initially uh, Jeremy Corbell, he... When he released the last date, he said there's plenty more to come um, and he's got extra, but we haven't seen anything since. And I know he did some stuff with the book, the Skinwalkers uh, at the Pentagon. He was, I don't know, promoting that, but he hasn't come out with anything of himself that I've seen anyway. So I just wanted to know like, what you thought about that. Do you think he's holding on to more stuff still? Do you think he's hyped all that he can? I think, before I bring Dan in... Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I would say it's one of two things. Either he is working on some stuff in the background and Jeremy Corbell, he likes the he likes the showmanship, he likes the Hollywood, the drama, he likes the suspense, building these things up. And I could see him, if he is working on something, it's going to be big and it'll be, you know, all kind of bells and whistles attached. Or how he handled things last time may have burnt some bridges in terms of how he was getting material and data because when you see stuff come out uh i i look to certain individuals to see if they also corroborate or back up or comment on it and when his stuff came out last time not many people stuck up for the the quality of the footage or the data and you wonder if a lot of people have just kind of taken a backward seat when it comes to jeremy corbell's presentation um 
of of that kind of stuff. You know, I, I think at times Jeremy's heart's in the right place. I think I, I really do feel I've said this before, and I, I would have no problem saying this to Jeremy. I feel he would like to be the face of the subject for the TMZ generation. I think he was hoping things might have taken off more when we had the J.J. Abrams UFO documentaries and he dropped the the Russell Omaha footage and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't think it happened for him. And I think that's the route he would want to go with this, not the traditional names and faces and expos and conferences to to make the make his way. But I think he absolutely still has a role to play in this subject. I get why a lot of people don't like how he goes about what he does. Um, I've said before, like I really enjoy the content of his his documentaries. Some of the the artistic license used within them isn't my taste particularly, but I still like watching it. So, Dan, what what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I don't just. I always say this. It's kind of become my catchphrase. I agree with Andy. Uh, we <laughs> do disagree sometimes, <laughs> um, but yeah, the the Cobalt stuff. I would agree with you. the The only thing I'd add is that. He made the point that when he dropped those bits of Omaha and footage, that it was for a particular reason. It was functional. And that was to repair a kind of a channel um, between where those Snoopy team videos would go and the main hub for the UAPTF. From, from what I gather, that line of communication was broken. And by bringing out those videos, he was able to say, look, these are interesting things here. You guys need to be paying attention to to this area too. I feel like he might have repaired that line of communication. And so we are no longer seeing anything come outside of it um, to to try and highlight that fault. Um, Knapp Knapp was pretty quiet for a while. And he wrote the Skinwalker book uh, with um, Lakatsky and Callagher. So I, I would imagine that jeremy's a bit of a creative um you know 10 projects one comes off so he's probably going through those nine other projects right now with the one that he doesn't know is his next project currently in formation michael anyone else that you want to bring up as well as jeremy corbell yeah i was going to mention anjali and jolly i think that's how you say anjali yeah that's it um, or anjali yeah. i'm not sure um but i think i saw that one that's of those. been Postponed. I'm fairly sure I've yeah, I've seen her correct to both both ways of saying <laughs> the name. <laughs> yeah, um, so I know that's been postponed, um, and that she caught some stick. I think she made an appearance that I haven't watched myself, uh, but I saw some people sticking up for her and some people uh, not. So just yeah, I, I don't know what I feel on that. I think it might be a little bit of larping, but I, I don't know. It's hard to I don't want to judge someone. Um, you know that I don't know and haven't spoken to, but it just seems a little off for me. Uh, I don't know, maybe because it's um nuts and bolts type of person that struggle with some of the more out there concepts. Uh, that that's maybe a little bit too out there for for myself. You, you mean I think, someone setting up a chair and proclaiming that they found aliens in a cave doesn't do it for you? Like no, I, no. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know who she expected to convince by doing it that way. When when she said press conference, I expected a, a formal press conference, you know. Yeah. Um I, I watched her appearance on Alien Addict. Um I say that name to give them credit. I don't recommend anyone go watch it. Um, it was a bit of a train wreck. It sounds like um basically the story was that and Angeli. Uh, met these beings in a cave on someone called Wayne's property. Um, as of last night, um, I now realize that someone has approached someone else named Ryan and said, hey, I am that Wayne. Give me a thousand dollars 
and I will take you to the cave. And it turns out that this guy might be a con man. Um, so they've kind of gone into arguing about whether someone's a con man, there's money's exchanged hands, and it's quite frankly a shit show. It, it's exactly the kind of stuff that ufology needs to leave behind, and I'll, I'll be glad when we have no more of it, you know? Yeah, Michael, back at the start of this, um, I, right at the beginning, had reached out to, to Anjali to get her on, and uh, I got nothing. Then eventually, a few weeks later, a listener was messaging me via DM to say, that right there and then they were speaking to Angelie via DM and would I get her on the podcast? And I was like, absolutely, I've reached out, but um, I hadn't heard anything back. And no one no one owes me an interview. I've said that before. Um, Angelie then messaged me right there and then saying uh, she would love to come on the podcast. And I, I was very appreciative. I told her I appreciate she's got a family and um, she's busy and uh, I would be as accommodating with, with time as I could be. Let's arrange a date. I heard nothing back. A few weeks passed. I then got in touch again. Nothing. She then eventually told me that, yep, let's let's get some dates sent over. I sent her over basically telling her any time in the next week, I will I will make myself available. If it's 5 a.m., 4 a.m. in the UK, I'll do it. Nothing. This was about a month and a half, two months ago. Um, since then, she's done a few appearances on, on random shows. I get the Jimmy Church one, if you're looking for an audience. She's done some other ones that, somehow they've managed to get her on but like dan says i'm not going to bash other people's shows that i don't watch but when it comes to reputation and just some of the things you see they're they're quoting likes and clicks and ratings and views without any intent to actually get a quality interview or information from her and i think long before now it should have been left alone because it's went exactly how many people said it would um and i appreciate that maybe something did happen and we've heard about um i believe that this wayne character because right now as a character as far as anyone knows um has cancer which if that is true godspeed in dealing with that and getting treatment no one should have been harassing anyone or, or calling anyone out but you made the point michael that you didn't want to to attack the person and you know what you don't have to attack the person and even as nuts and bolts if someone came out tomorrow and claimed that they had a nuts and bolts craft hidden away in the Mojave Desert and they were going to lead an expedition to there and they were going to do it via Twitter poll and everything that's happened so far happened with that, doesn't matter if it's blue aliens hiding in a cave or if it was a UFO that was crashed in a cave, just the way the whole thing's been handled and how it's how it's unfolded has been awful. And I think there are just people now who are looking to jump on the bandwagon of, can I grab and Jali for an interview because people will find my channel or podcast and it's just it's just poor and that goes for for anyone who just quotes controversy in this subject i think people see that we tend to leave it alone yeah yeah i think i think you're right there and i think like best case scenario it's a it's a scam and the worst case is you know you know someone's a not not stable or, or something and so i think like it's a it's a tough thing to to have a go at like yeah i think it's and whichever it is it where you can yeah, yeah that's it's, it it's whatever it is michael the best way to do it is just leave it and yeah, yeah if something happens down the line that and i would love my my ultimate outcome for this would be sometime down the line and jally comes back on twitter and says i've got george knapp jeremy corbell lou elizondo chris mellon jimmy church richard dolan and neil degrasse tyson all coming with me to the mojave tomorrow and we're going to yeah. meet the aliens. Fantastic. And it happens, and they do. 
yeah. they come out and something happens from there. That would be brilliant. Is that going to happen? Almost guarantee it won't. As much like Playhood as Everton winning the league this season. So that's... There's a chance. There's a chance. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, for me, that's that's kind of where we're at with that. But look, Michael, we've run out of time. We're going to have to get on to our next caller. Um, great Sad. points to bring up because we haven't managed to talk about those. And I think it's some really good stuff to bring up and it's very timely as well. So good talking with you, Michael, and make sure you call in again next time, okay? Yeah, you too. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Cheers Michael. Michael. Cheers. Next up, we have regular contributor to various different uh, streams that we have. We've got Dave Smethers. Dave, how are we doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good to see Dan as well. Very good. Yes, nice always good you to see you, Dave. Dave, Dave Can uh, I just tell you, I feel more honoured than Chris playing tonight. I'm obviously more important, but Dan, <laughs> you're here as well. Marvellous. <laughs> I Every time I'm editing, I always cringe because Andy, you know, he'll, he'll often use that joke with people. And I'm like, it's not that at all. I had stuff to do. You know, I have uh, mad well, respect for Chris and what he does. <laughs> Well, it's not me. You need to convince Chris, not me, Danny, <laughs> so, for the sound of it. <laughs> for anyone who's not heard it yet, on the KGRA show uh, on the 5th of November, I uh, interviewed Chris Plain, who's the head science writer at The Debrief. That will go out on the, the free feed and the main feed in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, yeah, if you want to check that one out, it's on the KGRA YouTube channel just now. That's what Dave's referencing. But it was a good talk. I, I liked Chris. Uh, good, good speaking it, with him. I thought he was brilliant, actually. He re- it was really good. Fantastic. I thought... I- I thought it was excellent. So well worth listening to anyway. I didn't realise what a range he had and where he was coming from in the field. So Because I thought he was like a bit more conservative science guy. But he, he's got both. I thought he was really, I thought he'd come over really well anyway. So there you go. No, and Dave, you said some nice things about that interview because I know you'd heard Chris before and uh, yeah. you'd got in touch with me asking me to make it a, uh, Make sure it wasn't a comedy show, I think was yeah. pretty much your words. And I was like, ah, don't worry, we'll, we, we do our own styles, don't we? So yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad it worked out. Chris was a good guy to talk to. He's a funny guy too. Yeah. And you do need that kind of sense of humour, I think, in the subject to make it and, and last in it. So um, yeah. yeah, it's good to have we, Chris he, on. He, he was a bit giddy, wasn't he, on the UCR one on my knife. I thought that, but there are always a bit of a couple of sentences away from a chorus line there anyway, aren't there? I sort of <laughs> could see, see Lou doing the jazz hands as he sort of goes, but... Uh, but, but I mean, it was all right on that. They were just all knew each other, didn't they? But yeah, the- high energy, high energy. Yeah, yeah. that's we're, we're like the UK version, which are much more polite and low energy. That's, yeah. that's what it is. More miserable. And, <laughs> more miserable. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, listen, Dave, right. what do you want to talk about? The floor is I've, yours. I've got two things, which are the, I think the contrasting sort of thing where we are in the field at the moment. Uh, I'll let you be one first, not hit you, but I should tell you one first, then the other. But I'll try to be brief because I know time's always pressing. The first one is an obvious one, the pivotal change in this legislation with Senator, is it Gally, Gallibrand? Gal, yeah, uh, Gallibrand, yeah. Yeah, and because uh, she's got, uh, she was a presidential hopeful, as I'm sure you all know this, uh, or a candidate. I think she's got links to uh, the Democrats there, possibly links to Chris Mellon, Armed Services Committee, Intelligence Committee. So this idea of the ASRO office, a beefed up link between it, the intelligence and defence, Possibly nominated members. Could I see Lou and Chris on there, or uh, who knows? The nuclear thing, where we see the DOE pulled in, stuff around the public reports. It was a real, for me, a big step change. Or it could be a pivotal change in what happens, assuming it's not opposed, which it looks like it. So I just wonder what you guys thought about that, you know? Uh, Dan made a good point earlier that he sees like this subject and this topic seems to be very bipartisan. 
and it yeah, doesn't yeah. seem to be getting any fight back, does it, from either side, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican that's putting putting these notions forward or talking about UFOs, UAP, you know, exotic technologies. They don't seem to be using it as yet anyway in any sort of trash talking or talking down or what will be interesting, I suppose, is when, when election times come up, if any of these people that have been talking about this, you know, like a Rubio or a Warner or a Gillibrand or or anyone involved in this subject who has put these forward, if it's used against them by their their colleagues who'd be running opposing them, because I think that for me would show and be a big telltale sign, to be honest. Dan? Can, can you imagine, like, if someone did use that against them, I can just see Rubio, you, you know, turning it back on him because of the way that he's been using the language to talk about UAP. You know, he, he wouldn't say... Oh, so you don't believe in UAP? He would say, "Oh, so you don't think we should have uh, control over yeah. our skies?" That that would be, and people would have to be crazy to disagree. So I can almost see what how they would respond already. Um, what but, I would love to see Dan is actually Rubio just say to them, "Come here for a minute," and he gets out his phone and just says, "Watch, watch this <laughs> quick video," and they just go, "Oh, yeah, I, I agree. We have to do more about this." And I think we need briefings <laughs> and. Absolutely. That that's the other thing. Everyone that's come out with these briefings seems to be more convinced than they were before. They mm-hmm. they don't come out going, ah, actually, I kind of agree with Nick West. You, you know, they they they're not being briefed on balloons. They're being briefed on these incredible, these incredible things. And and on our, I don't know if it would be out by now, but and Andy and I did a news show, and I was saying that they only tend to ask um, for things that they know exist already. So if there's a bunch of, um, you know, if there's a bunch of data on biological issues um, and a call for a public advisory committee of 25 people from all these different institutions, I imagine those people are already talking and they just want to formalize. Yeah. Did you see, I thought it was interesting that Tom, uh, is it Tom Rogan, the article he did in the Washington Examiner, Mm -hmm. where he's virtually saying, well, if you, you know, uh, it's... uh, Basically, if you, you're not a serious mainstream journalist, if you don't think craft buzzing your nuclear weapons is, uh, you know, he's not an issue to report on. And I think it was, uh, was it? I can't remember his name. Uh, the, the, anyway, another guy he wrote, he virtually threw down the gauntlet to the media, mainstream media to do it. So I think that's exactly what he'd say, Rubio. I think that you're exactly right there. I, I just thought it was, a, I thought it was potentially really important. And I was thinking for Senator Gallibrand, it might be quite interesting on a presidential CV at some point in the very distant future to have pioneered this issue. So uh, that was also, we never know what you might see. Yeah, absolutely. The politicians pick up these hot button issues all the time. And this is growing and growing and growing and growing. I I know when we had that first bit of legislation um, last year, we, we all realized that the YouTube videos of the like Fleer and Gimbal and GoFast all have enough views now that if each of those people voted, it could swing the election. And that was last year. So it, it's it's just snowballing. That was the phrase someone used earlier. It's absolutely snowballing into something really big. And and the people who aren't following along um, are in for a, a bit of a, an awakening. Not to use a loaded term. <laughs> Shall I get on to the other thing, Andy, just conscious of time? Or, please, Dave, yeah, please. We've got yeah. Frank. Uh, Frank will be on with us soon. But yeah, go on, Dave. The time is yeah. still yours. I, I should, uh, I've written this down, so because it's a bit of a tongue twister. Has Lou gone woo? And should we too? <laughs> uh, 
because I think he's talked about DNA with the middle of the food chain, ancient civilizations, possibly past ones, and there's the Atlantis connection. Well, he hasn't said that, obviously. I know he hasn't said that. Dimensional reality, possibly another race. So I wondered if there was a new narrative sort of emerging, and we've got John Ramirez. He's almost a link between uh, Lou and Tom DeLonge, you know, that sort of woo and sort of tad intelligence. And then from uh, what's XO Academy and then Ross Coulthard, we've got this really weird stuff for this time traveler stuff coming in and even this cataclysm stuff. So I feel like you're, you're almost being dragged down this sort of, not rabbit hole, but it's a rabbit hole that's got some a bit of heft behind it, really. So I just wondered what you thought about Lou going woo, which I don't think he is, but he's going there a bit. And generally, it's taken, taken a bit of a left turn since some ways, the topic recently. I was wondering what you thought. I am. Um, so not a left turn, but an Dan, interesting thing. Dan, let me, let me just say this, Dan. I sure. think that um, the term woo for a start, I know some people don't like it because they think it's derogatory to you know, poo-pooing some of the more out there stuff involved in the subject. I don't mind it because I think right now it separates the nuts and bolts to the spiritual, ethereal multi-dimensional interdimensional aspect to the conversation so i don't mind using woo and if anyone hears me say woo that's what i mean and that's that's what dave means i'm sure as well yeah. um i think it's just a way of people like lou getting different language and different ideas into the conversation because it has to move down the line I, i've said before i think a couple of years ago when you saw lou do his first interviews on uh, on various like you know channels like Fox or Unidentified or on History Channel, you saw him use certain language, certain terminology, and and he stayed away from opinion even back then. I know he still generally veers away from opinion now, but I have I have heard him more and more say, "I just want to clarify this is my opinion," and then give opinion. So I think he's just opening up different conversations. And like I've said to Dan, I am no expert in people's NDAs, but if I was under an NDA for something as sensitive as this, but I was still trying to have the conversation, why wouldn't you throw out a little bit of opinion that's wrong with a little bit of opinion that has some aspects of truth to it? Because I'm sure that would be a way to keep the waters murky enough that you can have a bit more of a conversation to suggest A, which is kind of right, or B, which is kind of wrong but you put them both out there and you let people kind of make up their own mind. And I think, like I said before, with, with Tom DeLong, Tom DeLong, I think Dan Kutjai Mungo loved my jigsaw analogy, didn't he? Tom DeLong has a 100-piece jigsaw with half the pieces missing and he's scrambling about trying to work out what the picture is and he fills in the blanks himself. I think what Lou does now and again is give you an extra jigsaw piece and it just makes the picture a little bit clearer, but not all the way. Yeah, for sure. It, it's We almost have to consider as well the implications of slide nine and everything listed on that. Slide nine was part of a, a briefing presentation um, that had some really kind of woo stuff on it. Um, I, I think we're being slowly walked kind of through through when, when the community got their hands on slide nine, there were a lot of conversations about what the contents of it meant. It's a lot to digest. And it's a huge paradigm shift to realize that that stuff is all real. So I think this stuff isn't necessarily new. If you were kind of knee deep in this, you you had an inclination it was going this way, but it's certainly new to the mainstream conversation that Lou's been having. 
and I I just say if if people want to you know get get a little further ahead again um to listen to those breadcrumbs and and go off in the, on those threads that Luke talks about and you know feed feed your curiosity and, and see where it takes you yeah I mean it, it is going I know what you mean about him raising other things and you're right but it, is, it does seem to be going in a particular direction doesn't it it's not like a random throwing out different ideas as a, like in a seminar there is things about human origins about you know you know but a few other things that I thought were quite interesting and I do think when you hear Ross Coltart saying things about these what the other intelligence community people are saying it's uh I don't know what I mean there's maybe there's just a bit of a, a what's the word a churn of ideas going around there and people are, are sort of throwing their two penithin I don't know well I, think Lou Lou, I mean it was we've got to keep every possibility on the table until it's proved otherwise and before now we had humans or aliens that was the box and then as we know we had crypto terrestrials ultra terrestrials all these other possibilities and now we're getting even more possibilities come into play so i i think like andy said it, it's kind of exercising thinking outside of the box because that's that's where the reality of this phenomenon is going to be it, it doesn't fit into you know it's a little green man from alpha centauri that kind of feels too yeah. it doesn't fit the data so we need to think wider well, that's, Dave. that's it from that's it from me guys apart from bill nelson uh saying it's something uh you know that was that was i thought that was uh <laughs> i thought that was a good show you did by the way with that but you Thanks. know he, he could sort of he could sell you anything couldn't he he's an interesting guy to talk to interesting auditor as they would say but Dave we'll leave you there mate and we'll get over to Frank for the last call but thanks very much for calling in thanks for yeah. the patience we're a little bit behind but always good to talk to you mate cheers guys great to talk to you see you later cheers Dave cheers Dave and to finish off after Dave I can think of no one better to have on from the UFO Thinker podcast we've got Frank how are we doing Frank very well thanks awesome what are your thoughts mate what are you looking for the floor is yours yeah, so, so what I wanted to talk about is basically some of the incredible megaliths and monuments from the ancient world, especially the the unbelievable precision of some of the enormous granite boxes in the Serapium of Egypt. It kind of suggests that there may have been advancements in ancient technology way beyond what anybody has previously understood. And I was just thinking perhaps there could have been some kind of links to some aspects of the phenomenon in our distant past, which perhaps made these kind of technological feats possible. I'm not saying necessarily, you know, the aliens built the pyramids, that, that obviously, but, you know, whether there may be some links there and just kind of wondering what you guys' thoughts were on that. I mean, I'll ask you, Frank, first off, do you think the aliens did build the pyramids? No, I mean, I don't think it's as simple as like literally, you know, flying saucer turned up and voila, there's a pyramid or anything like that. But maybe there could have been, you know, there's a lot of talk of like, um, you know, the consciousness aspect of the phenomenon and things like that. Perhaps there's some kind of way that, you know, if there was an ancient, more advanced civilization here on the, on the planet, however long ago that was, perhaps they tapped into some aspect of the consciousness thing and linked that with technologies maybe in some way. That's kind of, I mean, I don't know, but that's kind of my my thoughts really. So, Yeah, all, all of that fascinates me. I've talked about how as a kid I was interested in Egypt and how or why these things may have been built and the way just, even just the pyramids and other, other monoliths line up with the star systems and constellations that would be so hard 
to do now, even with our technologies, that they they managed to do that back then. And I think when it comes to like tech, you can think about these things in kind of very modern ways. But are there are there ways these objects line up for a reason? Are they the shape they are for a reason that they draw? And I think it's hard not to be tarnished by decades of watching Hollywood movies that, oh, yeah, the pyramids, you know, are technically could be spaceships. They could be channeling energy. They could be lining up with star systems for for whatever kind of mathematical reason. But um, I don't know. I think I think that's definitely an aspect to it. And again, we've talked about um, the Eternals just before, Frank, the Eternals movie that we've just both Mm. been to see. And there's a lot of themes within that that talk about civilizations through the millennia having help or guidance to allow technological advances for civilizations to grow and move on. And I think that's, it would be very easy to say that Hollywood helps us with any kind of soft disclosure because it drip feeds out these ideas to the public. Because if you were going to get new generations ready for that sort of thinking or these sort of ideas to come out to the mainstream, then what better vehicle to do it through than a new Marvel movie? Where you can introduce the idea to children from age, you know, three to three to eighty-three, where you know archaeological finds in the desert, spaceships here, interference in, in the human genetics and human civilization for thousands of years, all these kind of things that we hear about in, in ufology or UFOs or aliens are there in a Hollywood movie, and I think a lot of that was really interesting for me, especially when you see them, the the huge ship comes out the desert in Iraq. And you hear about different archaeological finds, whether it's Iraq, you know, Afghanistan, Antarctica, and it's it's a whole rabbit hole of a conversation, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's it's kind of you know something I shied away from, you know, years ago because of the typical kind of ancient aliens thing. It's not necessarily something I really bought into, but the more I look into these kind of the unbelievable precision of these monuments and the way that they were able to get cut so so accurate and so precise, even though it was, you know, many, many thousands of years ago, which is kind of turning out to be actually many thousands of years, even before we thought it was, you know, things keep getting older as, as Graham Hancock always says. And, you know, the, what the things Lou Elizondo was talking about recently about things from the distant past and, and all that kind of ties in with it as well. So it's kind of reinvigorated a bit of interest for me on that, you know, with, with this kind of stuff, it's always worth you you highlighted well i thought when you said you know i don't think a ufo came down and there's like ropes hanging off the ufo and they're picking up blocks and you know transporting and dropping them into place like a giant jenga block um That's it's point. not like that life is usually more subtle and and i think it's super interesting that you know we've had the ideas of humans being hybrids and our, our dna being tampered with for a long while but in the kind of the realistic way that it could happen. You know, if a comet kind of crashed on Earth and had bacteria, it could affect the primates that we were and kind of make us develop in this way. There are there are more subtle ways for things like hybridization to happen with a species than ancient aliens would lead you to believe. And, and mm. I think that's probably where we're going to end up kind of talking kind of like, e- even if one alien came down and fell in love with a woman, you know, it's it's going to lead to a knock-on effect on the biosphere and the species. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's very fascinating, especially when you consider that kind of, like you say, the precision in those blocks. The fact that until now we haven't really had a camera that could properly capture exactly how precise those blocks were 
And now we're seeing that actually the lines between the blocks are kind of invisible. That's how precise they are. And we can't match them. You know, our level of precision just isn't there. So it, it does make me wonder when we'll get to that and if we'll get to it as well. It could have been we started with fire. They could have started with sound. And, mm-hmm. you know, we go off on completely different paths. So, yeah, very, very interesting. There's a lot there to be discovered. I think the, the mainstream story doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. And Frank, I, I love the idea as well that an alien comes down, looks at the pyramids and goes, you shouldn't have those. Who, who gave you those? <laughs> whole, whole other conversation that we had like anything else on that one frank no i think that pretty much covers it really it's just really interesting to hear you guys thoughts on it I, i'd like to know what have you got coming up on your podcast well as it happens i've actually got uh chris leto uh he's going to be on the on the show this coming week so we've got an interview with chris which is going to be uh looking forward to that one and uh, I'm, I'm actually doing an interview later on tonight as well. Funny, you were mentioning just before we started recording about um, Ash Ellis with the uh, uh, UFO Identified, the, the mini con in Preston. So yes. I'm actually doing, I'm actually going to be doing an interview with, with Ash as well. I'm actually on his podcast. So, Brilliant. Yeah, plenty of exciting things in the pipeline. Nice. Well, that's good. People should be checking out UFO Thinker podcast. And Frank, one of your listeners actually came over and found our show and uh, left us a very nice five-star review as well. So I appreciate that one. Thank you very much for, for the recommendation. Oh, yeah. Excellent. That's great to hear. I always, obviously always big you guys up, you know, big inspiration to even get my podcast started in the first place. Cheers, podcast inception. We all just pass it along, don't we? <laughs> Excellent. Frank, always good to hear from you. Thanks for the call, mate. And we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Speak to you soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of fateful on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs, and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red and I called up my boys they thought this was noise they thought it was a dream they thought it was my toys they thought it was my problems and they think I should take care of me and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me
consider time, consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life. 